at kdkr.org. Portions of KDKR programming do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or staff. Prudent Money with Bob Brooks is sponsored by the Prudent Money Foundation on 91.3. Well, what are some of the developing trends saying about our future? Today we're going to take a look. Stay tuned for Prudent Money. Good afternoon, this is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thanks so much for joining me today. You know I do appreciate it. Well, last month, Chuck Bentley and I took a look at current trends and their potential effect on the future. And today we're going to finish, hopefully finish that discussion. Uh, there are seven trends that Chuck wrote about in his book, Seven Gray Swans. And the question is, how are these trends developing? Chuck, always great to talk to you. Well, thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me back. It's it's a joy to be a part of your program. Well, listen, you know, I don't know if you feel this way, but there just seems to be, you know, talking about all these trends, maybe a lot of uh, uncertainty that's, that's in the air right now. There just seems like uh, that, that there's, I don't want to say a lot of fear, but just a lot of concern amongst people today. <laughs> well, Christians don't like to say they're afraid about anything. Um <laughs> But the truth is, uh, we can't even keep up with all of the things yes. that are, are uh, of concern right now, Bob. And and I love the name of your uh, broadcast, Prudent, because that's, Thank you. You know, that's something we forget about. Prudence is basically a virtue that avoids being impulsive, and it, it's, it's making a... It's taking the best path to a worthy goal. It's making a good decision. Prudence means that you're not left at the mercy of your circumstance. So I think it's great to talk about trends, to be aware of them, not to be afraid or make foolish decisions, spontaneous decisions, knee-jerk reactions, but just to know what might be coming so that we're ahead of it and can be wise and be prudent with our money, as you suggest. Well, and that's one of the things I like about your work, Chuck, the book Seven Gray Swans, Trends That Threaten the, Our Financial Future. I believe it was, what, four years ago that you wrote the book? Yes, it seems impossible, but that's exactly right. <laughs> Time flies. And uh, the thing that's great about it, it's it's not a long read. And I, I think what's in, one of the, the single most important things we can do as Christians, as stewards of what God has blessed us with, is to make sure... We're up the curve, up the learning curve, and this is a great way to do it. We started this uh, last last month. We got through about two or three of them, and hopefully we'll get through as many as we can. But if we won't, we'll uh, finish up next month. We're not in any hurry. We really want to talk about this. Well, let's start out and discuss what you mean by a gray swan. What is that? I'm contrasting it to the black swan event, which is unpredictable, that's devastating, Nobody saw it coming. You know, they say you can't make a plan for a black swan. You just have to be mm. resilient and endure it. But a gray swan is an obvious danger that we don't think it's very probable. Uh, you know, like we don't think it can happen, so we tend to ignore it. And I've been tracking these things that I think are really gray swans. We know they're out there. We know they're, they're causing us a little bit of angst. But we think, ah, oh, that's not going to happen, so I don't really need to be that aware of it. That's what I wrote about in the book. 
Well, you, like I said, you highlighted seven trends with the advantage of looking back now. Are there you know, any other trends that you might have added to this list that we should be watching and be aware of? Well, I think so. Uh, if you look at what uh, our people are writing about now, and I tend to watch these things, I, would, I think there's a great deal of concern about artificial intelligence mm, and right. how it's being implemented, how it's going to affect the economy. Obviously, it's, got, uh, it's had its setbacks in recent days. It's been some embarrassing setbacks for Google over artificial intelligence. But I think that it is an issue that could uh, change uh, the way we function in the world, so it needs to be watched. I think there's a lot of concern over immigration policies, both pro and con, uh, in uh, not just America, but also throughout Europe right now. Those two have really risen to the surface. I, I wrote about uncertain networks, and Bob, just last week, uh, many people around the country mm, couldn't access right. their phone service, and they didn't know, hey, what's happening? This is not supposed to be happening. But uh, that continues to be a, a concern, is what I call fragile networks, where we're so dependent upon technology that we don't even know how to function without it. So. Uh, but there's more uh, that I think need to be out there, and and you keep asking me to update the book, and I'm probably <laughs> going to get around to doing that one of these days. Edition number two. So you know, all you have to do just just so that you know this, Chuck, if you're we have another outage, just go pick up a payphone. <laughs> well, yeah, right, <laughs> right. You and I know we know what they, those things yes. are. I, you know, I still have uh, phone jacks in my house. I live in an older home, and and uh, it used to be wired to plug in phones, and my kids have <laughs> no idea what that's for. You know, it went from telephones to Internet connection. Now they're just worthless, uh, but uh, that's that's how dated I am. Yeah, well, don't even talk about 8-track tape. So I was, I was uh, it's just so funny, some of the, all the, th- the trends that you and I grew up with and and the trends that uh, – you know, people our age back then are growing up with now. It's just such a, a different situation. Let's talk a little bit about digital currency. If I had to take one of the trends out of the seven and say, you know, I think this one's going to beat beat us to the punch. I I really do think that digital currency is is sooner rather than later. Uh, what do you talk a little bit about what a single digital currency looks like? Well, uh, it's probably not going to start out as a single digital currency, meaning a universal currency, but it's probably going to start out as a central bank digital currency. We've already got private digital currencies. If you look at the price of Bitcoin today, it's unbelievable, back up above $56,000. Right. I still still am in denial about that. (laughs) I thought after all of the crises they had with credibility and risk and hacking and fraud, that it might go in the tank, but it's going the other direction. And you know what it is, Bob? It it is a vote by people who say, I have more trust in the validity of of a digital currency governed by the blockchain than I do in a digital currency governed by a central bank. Uh, And so the central banks know this. They know that there's a threat to their ability to control and manage money, uh, which is a threat to a, a national sovereignty. If, if there is no monetary policy, then a country really isn't very sovereign. 
And so they're going to have to get a stake in the game here and, and likely try to form a competitor uh, to these private currencies and tout it as being better. And they're going to tout it as being better because it's going to be supposedly safer and governed so that it can't ever, you know, spiral out of control. But they've already done, you know, sort of proven that they can't govern that very well, money supply. And so, but that's what I think is coming. And I do think it's coming rapidly. I don't think they're going to sit back and let it uh, all be privatized. I, I just read two papers today in preparation for our call, one from the central banks of Europe and one from central banks in the U.S., and they're very active in determining how they can develop a central bank digital currency. And, of course, uh, that's the next step, which I think is coming rapidly. So, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. This is just what I heard you say, and I want to make sure I was correct. Talking about this is more of a process of trans. Uh, of, uh, transferring from the way we are today to a single, uh, a single alternative. Well, wh- what they think is one of the big benefits of of the digital currency is what they call cross border payments, and it's extraordinarily difficult now with some of the mm, right. uh, countries that don't accept each other's currencies. There's lack of trust in one currency over the other. There's different valuations. Uh, it's expensive, and, and there's a lot of governance uh, controlling cross-border transfers of, of money. And imagine the economic benefit if that got easy all of a sudden, uh, that everything was somewhat equal. The problem with that is it requires a central controlling governing body. And, you know, that's what will put, you know keep you up at night <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is, right. the thought, is the thought that somebody has control over all private citizens' money. Uh, if they're in control of all money, uh, I I just shudder to think about that day ever coming. Theoretically, isn't the Fed in control? Do you what do you think about that question? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think obviously you have uh, monetary policy and fiscal policy. Physical policy being, you know, how much debt the government takes on and how much taxes they issue. But monetary policy, controlling money supply and the tax, uh, um, not the tax, but the uh, monetary supply and the interest rates, uh, those two things, uh, you know, are what essentially the two levers that they have to uh, to try to stabilize the currency. And, uh, you know, when you look at Argentina right now, the, the president has basically said, I'm going to get rid of all of the madness of uh, – Overspending. I'm going to change the the fiscal policy of our nation, and and he's made great strides, you know, to to correct that. And those are the kind of strides that we certainly need here in America. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know, I do appreciate it. If you want more information on Chuck, a great place to go and to get uh, even uh, just a ton of resources crown.org is where you need to go and you can also get information on chuck's book seven gray swans let's talk a little bit about uh if you have a a digital currency in place you know we don't have cash what would are there any alternatives for cash well we currently have lots of alternatives for cash what what the central banks would call the private sector where 
you know, you and I can use credit cards. We can use PayPal. We can use all of these. You know, you can set up an account at a retail store. Uh, it's it's not so much that uh, the private alternatives are a concern. Uh, those are fragmented. Those are distributed uh, broadly. So there's not a, a central control over those. And, and, you know, there's lots of money generated through those different means. What we're talking about is when the central banks get involved and they want to control the alternatives to cash. They want to start putting policy around that. Mm, right. And uh, that's the ones that I think we've got to be paying attention to. In the book, you take a look at other countries that are poised to go cashless this decade. You know, Out of the six that you list, which one do you think will get there first? I think the Scandinavians are on their way. They, they really adopt it. They have a low level of concern about it. They tend to think that you know, people that are worried about it right now are Luddites, we're anti-progressive. And uh, Sweden is already, I think, 80% there. Uh, I think Norway issues uh, little uh, electronic devices for the homeless to be able to receive a gift, uh, from a, a charitable gift, uh, because there's not cash that anybody could drop in their hat walking by a homeless person. So they're, they're on their way, Bob. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, China wants uh, this to happen so they can have ultimate control over their currency. But also, uh, Africa is developing a real affinity for a cashless society. Uh, we're seeing a lot of fintech companies develop there that uh, have you know, great benefits to the people. So Africa could likely sur- surprise the world in how quickly they go cashless. You know, when we talk about this, I look at a cashless society a society as something that could be a good thing. And, of course, it could be used for, for not-so-good things as well. And I think that's what we have to keep in mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I think that's why it's a little bit insidious because mm, right. there are benefits. It does provide convenience. It, it, you know, they're saying it will lower crime. They can track all dirty money very easily. Uh, it reduces the cost of having money stored, uh, and it makes cross-border payments easy. So I don't see, I can see the argument for it, uh, but I can also see that, let me give you an example. Here's the tension. How does it lower crime by being able to track dirty transactions and money laundering, at the same time provide ultimate privacy for the individual who says, I don't want the government seeing everything I do with my money? How can you do both, Bob? Right, right. And so, uh, you know, the only way they could do both is to promise that they won't look at the good guy's accounts. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> how much trust do you have in that promise? Oh, no problem. No problem at all. I can't, can't see how that would be a big deal. Uh, so one of the things that you write about, which I, I deeply appreciate in each one of these chapters, you talk about the biblical implications of the trend you're, you're, that you're tracking. What, you know, what are the biblical implications of a cashless society? Well, I don't think that we can avoid the fact that uh, Revelations uh, 13, Revelation 13 speaks about the day will come when you can't be in the marketplace without the mark of the beast. And that means that uh, it's an economic uh, concern. You, you are unable to operate in the world system 
if you haven't agreed to the philosophy of the world system. And I don't think that uh, you you have to tie the move to a central bank digital currency to the end times, but I think you do have to be uh, aware and prudent of that could happen. That sure. could roll into a universal currency that has universal government control over all transactions. What would that mean? It would mean if they said one day, if you're, you know, if you're left-handed and and you voted a certain way and and you're below this and your color of your eyes are this way, then you can't board a plane to leave the country. They could make up anything to discriminate against your you're being able to freely come and go. That's what's happening in China already. You can be locked out of an office building uh, through, a, through a facial scan if they don't like you. If you posted something online that's egregious to the government, you, you can't leave the country. You can't board a flight. You can't get in certain buildings. You can't borrow money. Uh, it lowers your credit score. It's uh, It's tied to the social credit scoring system that puts them in control of every decision you make. Well, let's talk about what I think is the most ridiculous one of them all. The, the one that you probably got to just shake your head every time somebody asks you a question about it, because it truly doesn't make sense. The modern monetary theory. And, you know, and I'll putting all jokes aside, I mean, it is something that we really need to be aware of and be watching. Well, most people, you know, that uh, the people that, don't like it like me it's called the magic money theory or the monopoly money theory <laughs> and and we don't think it's real but it's actually real and it's never been voted on as a policy it's just practiced and th- that basically means that uh, the u.s whoever prints their own currency can print as much as they want without concern and they can create as much debt as they want without concern that there are no repercussions to uh, those who print their own money. They essentially can operate like the bank in a monopoly game. And uh, if you're in denial about it, uh, just look it up. I mean, there are economic professors. Dr. Stephanie Kelton wrote The Deficit Myth. Uh, she was an advisor to presidential candidates in the last campaign cycle, informing them that we could you know, do anything we wanted to. We could pass the the Green New Deal, and print trillions of dollars without consequence. And uh, my, my concern with that idea is that it's being practiced, un- and most people are unaware that it's being practiced. But just tell me, Bob, do, do you think there's any end in sight in how much money we're going to print or overspend? There looks to be no break on the train. Yeah, you know, and I was thinking about, I was thinking about this earlier today that, Generally speaking, leading up to a, an election, a presidential election, if you go back th- four or five cycles, there was always talk about this, about how we need to get our debt under control and our spending under control. That's, just, that's, not, even, that's not even on the, the, the sheet of talking points anymore. And it's no, just, it's just something that, you know, it's, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. It's no big deal. We'll, we'll borrow more money. And, that's, and it's just amazing to me uh, that someone could look at that and go, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, it did. Well, uh, it, it, looks, it makes a lot of sense on the surface, but you forget the psychology of money. 
psychology of money is everything is based on trust. We exchange a product or service for something that we believe has an equivalent value of trust or or a value of stored value that we can use. And once that value is uncertain or that it's in rapid decline, uh, it goes out of fashion really quickly. I've I've watched Zimbabwe implode. Uh, Zimbabwe destroyed one of the strongest economies in all of Africa due to hyperinflation. And uh, they printed, uh, you know, the $100 trillion bill, and it wasn't worth the paper it was printed on. Bob, that was 14 zeros behind mm-hmm. a one, wow. $100 trillion, and nobody trusted it. And that can happen here. It seems unlikely because we're still the reserve currency of the world. But I do think that we need to pay attention to MMT and to try to talk to those that uh, could possibly change the direction of the practice of printing, uh, you know, into astronomical amounts uh, on into infinity that we seem to be willing to do here. You know, it's almost like if you if you look at it from the standpoint of an end game. And of course, this is all pure speculation, but it seems like that it would be something like a Zimbabwe that that just all of a sudden it worked one day, all of a sudden it wasn't working anymore, and things just kind of spiral out of control. Is that kind of? Do you think that it looks like that, or do you have another opinion? Well, uh, you know, fear is contagious, and, and once people start running for the exit, it's like a bank run. Sure. Uh, it's very, very hard to stop. Most currency collapses occur when there's excessive debt, out-of-control debt, and political instability. And political instability means that people have lost confidence in anybody to, to govern, in anybody to actually contain the debt. And so that's when you see the International Monetary Fund or the World Bank knocking on your door and saying, hey, we, we want to step in here and tell you how to run your country. That's usually when austerity measures are put in place. I cannot imagine that happening in our country, but it is a possibility sure, that sure. political instability occurs with excessive runaway debt, and uh, we, see, we, you know, we, we see the devastation caused by that. We need people to say our currency is uh, under right, is under control, and our policies are going to ensure that the good faith and credit of the American people are never compromised. Uh, and that's historically the way it's been. We've been the safe haven when there's uh, economic turmoil. But uh, I would hate to lose that position, Bob. Well, great information, Chuck. Our, our time is up, but we will cover the rest of this next month, and we'll look forward to doing that. If you want more information about Chuck and the book, Seven Gray Swans, go to crown.org for that and a lot of great uh, stewardship resources. Chuck, always a pleasure, always a blessing to be able to get to talk with you. Thank you, Bob. Keep up your great work. Thank you. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. It's interesting to talk about these trends uh, not to stir up fear, but just to stir up, hey, you know, be aware of them. Just be aware and, uh, like I said, up that learning curve so that you are not going to be surprised if something all of a sudden starts to go south. I think we have a lot of bad choices that have to take place before anything like that happens. Uh, so that's why I think a lot of these things that, that are st- stirred up in the, in the uh, rumor mill are 
low probability, but as we get uh, as we go further down the road, they could get uh, more so of a higher probability outcome. This is Bob Brooks. If you got a question for me, please go to the website at prudentmoney.com and send it in because we are all out of time. Till we do meet again next time. Keep the faith and have a great rest of the day. That's all the time we have for today. Questions or comments for Bob or to find out more great information like what you've just heard, visit www.prudentmoney.com. Be sure to join Bob Brooks again for the next edition of Prudent Money.